This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides. Translated by Richard Crawley. Book One. Chapter Four From the End of the Persian to the Beginning of the Peloponnesian War. The Progress from Supremacy to Empire. The way in which Athens came to be placed in the circumstances under which her power grew was this. After the Medes had returned from Europe, defeated by sea and land by the Hellenes, and after those of them who had fled with their ships to Mycale had been destroyed, Leotychides, king of the Lacedaemonians, the commander of the Hellenes at Mycale, departed home with the allies from Peloponnese. But the Athenians and the allies from Ionia and Hellespont, who had now revolted from the king, remained and laid siege to Sestos, which was still held by the Medes. After wintering before it, they became masters of the place on its evacuation by the barbarians, and after this they sailed away from Hellespont to their respective cities. Meanwhile the Athenian people, after the departure of the barbarian from their country, at once proceeded to carry over their children and wives, and such property as they had left, from the places where they had, been, they had deposited them, and prepared to rebuild their city and their walls. For only isolated portions of the circumference had been left standing, and most of the houses were in ruins, though a few remained, in which the Persian grandees had taken up their quarters. Perceiving what they were going to do, the Lacedaemonians sent out an embassy to Athens. They would have themselves preferred to see neither her nor any other city in possession of a wall, though here they acted principally at the instigation of their allies, who were alarmed at the strength of her newly acquired navy and the valor which she had displayed in the war with the Medes. They begged her not only to abstain from building walls for herself, but also to join them in throwing down the walls that still held together of the ultra-Peloponnesian cities. The real meaning of their advice, the suspicion that it contained against the Athenians, was not proclaimed. It was urged that so the barbarian, in the event of a third invasion, would not have any strong place, such as he now had in Thebes, for his base of operations, and that the Peloponnese would suffice for all as a base for retreat and offense. After the Lacedaemonians had thus spoken, they were, on the advice of Themistocles, immediately dismissed by the Athenians, with the answer that ambassadors should be sent to Sparta to discuss the question. Themistocles told the Athenians to send him off with all speed to Lacedaemon, but not to dispatch his colleagues as soon as they had selected them, but to wait until they had raised their wall to the height from which defense was possible. Meanwhile the whole population in the city was to labor at the wall, the Athenians, their wives, and their children, sparing no edifice, private or public, which might be of any use to the work, but throwing all down. After giving these instructions, and adding that he would be responsible for all other matters there, he departed. 
Arrived at Lacedaemon, he did not seek an audience with the authorities, but tried to gain time and made excuses. When any of the government asked him why he did not appear in the assembly, he would say that he was waiting for his colleagues, who had been detained in Athens by some engagement. However, that he expected their speedy arrival, and wondered that they were not yet there. At first the Lacedaemonians trusted the words of Themistocles, through their friendship for him, but when others arrived, all distinctly declaring that the work was going on, and already attaining some elevation, they did not know how to disbelieve it. Aware of this, he told them that rumors are deceptive, and should not be trusted. They should send some reputable persons from Sparta to inspect, whose report might be trusted. They dispatched them accordingly. Concerning these, Themistocles secretly sent word to the Athenians to detain them as far as possible, without putting them under open constraint, and not to let them go until they had themselves returned. For his colleagues had now joined him, Abronicus, son of Lysicles, and Aristides, son of Lysimachus, with the news that the wall was sufficiently advanced, and he feared that when the Lacedaemonians heard the facts, they might refuse to let them go. So the Athenians detained the envoys according to his message, and Themistocles had an audience with the Lacedaemonians, and at last openly told them that Athens was now fortified sufficiently to protect its inhabitants. That any embassy which the Lacedaemonians or their allies might wish to send to them should in future proceed on the assumption that the people to whom they were going was able to distinguish both its own and the general interests. That when the Athenians thought fit to abandon their city and to embark in their ships, they ventured on that perilous step without consulting them, and that, on the other hand, wherever they had deliberated with the Lacedaemonians, they had proved themselves to be in judgment second to none. That they now thought it fit that their city should have a wall, and that this would be more for the advantage of both the citizens of Athens and the Hellenic Confederacy, for without equal military strength it was impossible to contribute equal or fair counsel to the common interest. It followed, he observed, either that all the members of the Confederacy should be without walls, or that the present step should be considered a right one. The Lacedaemonians did not betray any open signs of anger against the Athenians at what they had heard. The embassy, it seems, was prompted not by a desire to obstruct, but to guide the counsels of their government. Besides, Spartan feeling was at that time very friendly towards Athens on account of the patriotism which she had displayed in the struggle with the Mede. Still, the defeat of their wishes could not but cause them secret annoyance. The envoys of each state departed home without complaint. In this way the Athenians walled their city in a little while. To this day the building shows signs of the haste of its execution. The foundations are laid of stones of all kinds, and in some places not wrought or fitted, but placed just in the order in which they were brought by the different hands. And many columns, too, from tombs and sculptured stones were put in with the rest, for the bounds of the city were extended at every point of the circumference. And so they laid hands on everything, without exception in their haste. Themistocles also persuaded them to finish the walls of Piraeus, which had been begun before, in his year of office as Archon, 
being influenced alike by the fineness of a locality that has three natural harbors, and by the great start which the Athenians would gain in the acquisition of power by becoming a naval people. For he first ventured to tell them to stick to the sea, and forthwith began to lay the foundations of empire. It was by his advice, too, that they built the walls of that thickness which can still be discerned round Piraeus, the stones being brought up by two wagons meeting each other. Between the walls thus formed there was neither rubble nor mortar, but great stones hewn square and fitted, fitted together, cramped to each other on the out, outside with iron and land and lead. About half the height that he intended was finished. His idea was by their size and thickness to keep off the attacks of an enemy. He thought that they might be adequately defended by a small garrison of invalids, and the rest be freed for service in the fleet. For the fleet claimed most of his attention. He saw, as I think, that the approach by sea was easier for the king's army than that by land. He also thought Piraeus more valuable than the upper city. Indeed, he was always advising the Athenians, if a day should come when they were hard-pressed by land, to go down into Piraeus and defy the world with their fleet. Thus, therefore, the Athenians completed their wall and commenced their other buildings immediately after the retreat of the Mede. Meanwhile, Pausanias, son of Cleombrotus, was sent out from Lacedaemon as commander-in-chief of the Hellenes, with twenty ships from Peloponnese. With him sailed the Athenians with thirty ships, and a number of the other allies. They made an expedition against Cyprus, and subdued most of the island, and afterwards against Byzantium, which was in the hands of the Medes, and compelled it to surrender. This event took place while the Spartans were still supreme. But the violence of Pisanias had already begun to be disagreeable to the Hellenes, particularly to the Ionians and the newly liberated populations. These resorted to the Athenians and requested them as their kinsmen to become their leaders, and to stop any attempt at violence on the part of Pisanias. The Athenians accepted their overtures, and determined to put down any attempt of the kind to settle everything else as their interests might seem to demand. In the meantime, the Lacedaemonians recalled Pausanias for an investigation of the reports which had reached them. Manifold and grave accusations had been brought against him by Hellenes arriving in Sparta, and, to all appearance, there had been in him more of the mimicry of a despot than of the attitude of a general. As it happened, his recall came just at the time when the hatred which he had inspired had induced the allies to desert him. The soldiers from Peloponnese accepted, and to range themselves by the side of the Athenians. On his arrival at Lacedaemon, he was censured for his private acts of oppression, but was acquitted on the heaviest counts and pronounced not guilty. It must be known that the charge of Medism formed one of the principal, and to all appearance one of the best founded, articles against him. The Lacedaemonians did not, however, restore him to his command but sent out Dorcas and certain others with, with a small force, who found the allies no longer inclined to concede to the supremacy. Perceiving this, they departed, and the Lacedaemonians did not send out any to succeed them. They feared for those who went out a deterioration similar to that observable in Pausanias. Besides, they desired to be rid of the Median war, and were satisfied of the competency of the Athenians for the position and of their friendship at the time toward themselves. 
The Athenians, having thus succeeded to the supremacy by the voluntary act of the allies through their hatred of Parsanius, fixed which cities were to contribute money against the barbarian, which ships, their professed object being to retaliate for their sufferings by ravaging the king's country. Now was the time that the office of Treasurers for Hellas was first instituted by the Athenians. These officers received the tribute, as the money contributed was called. The tribute was first fixed at 460 talents. The common treasury was at Delos, and the congresses were held in the temple. Their supremacy commenced with independent allies who acted on the resolutions of a common congress. It was marked by the following undertakings in war and in administration during the interval between the Median and the present war against the barbarian, against their own rebel allies, and against the Peloponnesian powers, which would come in contact with them on various occasions. My excuse for relating these events, and for venturing on this digression, is that this passage of history has been omitted by all my predecessors, who have confined themselves either to Hellenic history before the Median War, or the Median War itself. Hellenicus, it is true, did touch on these events in his Athenian history, but he is somewhat concise and not accurate in his dates. Besides, the history of these events contains an ex explanation of the growth of the Athenian Empire. First, the Athenians besieged and captured Ion on the Strymon from the Medes, and made slaves of the inhabitants, being under the command of Simon, son of Miltiades. Next, they enslaved Cyros, the island in the Aegean, containing a Dilopian population, and colonized it themselves. This was followed by a war against Chrysis, in which the rest of Euboea remained neutral, in which was ended by surrender on conditions. After this, Naxus left the confederacy, and a war ensued, and she had to return after a siege. This was the first instant of the engagement being broken by the subjugation of an allied city, a precedent which was followed by that of the rest in order in the order which circumstances prescribed. Of all the causes of defection, that connected with arrears of tribute and vessels, and with failure of service, was the chief. For the Athenians were very severe and exacting, and made themselves offensive by applying the screw of necessity to men who were not used to, and in fact not disposed for any continuous labor. In some other respects, the Athenians were not the old popular rulers they had been at first, and if they had more than their fair share of service, it was correspondingly easy for them to reduce any that tried to leave the confederacy. For this the allies had themselves to blame. The wish to get off service, making most of the arrangement to pay their share of the expense in money instead of in ships, and so to avoid having to leave their homes. Thus while Athens was increasing her navy with the funds which they contributed, a revolt always found them without resources or experience for war. Next we come to the actions by land and by sea at the river Eurymedon, between the Athenians and their allies, and the Medes, when the Athenians won both battles on the same day under the conduct of Simon, son of Miltiades, and captured and destroyed the whole Phoenician fleet, consisting of two hundred vessels. Some time afterwards occurred the defection of the Thasians, caused by disagreements about the marts on the opposite coast of Thrace, and about the mine in their possession. Sailing with a fleet to Thassos, the Athenians defeated them at sea and effected a landing on the island. About the same time, 
they sent ten thousand settlers of their own citizens and the allies to settle the place then called Aenea Hodoi, or Nine Ways, now Amphipolis. They succeeded in gaining possession of the Aenea Hodoi from the Edonians, but on advancing into the interior of Thrace were cut off in Derbescus, a town of the Edonians, by the assembled Thracians, who regarded the settlement of the place Anahidoi as an act of hostility. Meanwhile, the Thasians, being defeated in the field and suffering siege, appealed to Lacedaemon, and desired her to assist them by an invasion of Attica. Without informing Athens, she promised and intended to do so, but was prevented by the occurrence of the earthquake, accompanied by the secession of the Helots and the Thuriots and Athenians of the Perioisi to Ithome. Most of the Helots were the descendants of the old Mycenaeans that were enslaved in the famous war, and so all of them came to be called Mycenaeans. So the Lacedaemonians, being engaged in war with the rebels in Athome, the Thasians in the third year of the siege obtained terms from the, from the Athenians by raising their walls, delivering up their ships, and arranging to pay the monies demanded at once and tribute in the future, giving up their possessions on the continent together with the mine. The Lacedaemonians, meanwhile, finding the war against the rebels in Athome likely to last, invoked the aid of their allies, and especially of the Athenians, who came in some force under the command of Simone. Reason for this pressing summons lay in their reputed skill in siege operations. A long siege had taught the Lacedaemonians their own deficiency in this art, else they would have taken the place by assault. The first open quarrel between the Lacedaemonians and the Athenians arose out of this expedition. The Lacedaemonians, when assault failed to take the place, apprehensive of the enterprising and revolutionary character of the Athenians, and further looking upon them as of alien extraction, began to fear that if they remained, they might be tempted by the besieged in Athome to attempt some political changes. They accordingly dismissed them alone of the allies, without declaring their suspicions, but merely saying that they had now no need of them. But the Athenians, aware that their dismissal did not proceed from the more honorable reason of the two, but from suspicions which had been conceived, went away deeply offended, and conscious of having done nothing to merit such treatment from the Lacedaemonians, and the instant that they returned home they broke off the alliance which had been made against the Mede, and allied themselves with Sparta's enemy, Argos, each of the contracting parties taking the same oaths and making the same alliance with the Thessalians. Meanwhile, the rebels in Ithome, unwilling to prolong further a ten years' resistance, surrendered to Lacedaemon, the conditions being that they should depart from Peloponnese under safe conduct and should never set foot in it again. Anyone who might hereafter be found there was to be the slave of his captor. It must be known that the Lacedaemonians had an old oracle from Delphi to the effect that they should let go the suppliant of Zeus at Ithome. So they went forth with their children and their wives, and being received by Athens from the hatred that she now felt for the Lacedaemonians, were located at Nopictus, which she had lately taken from the Ozolian Locrians. The Athenians received another addition to their confederacy in the Megarians, who left the Lacedaemonian alliance, annoyed by a war about boundaries forced on them by Corinth. The Athenians occupied Megara and Pegae, and built the Megarians their long walls from the city to Nisaea, in which they placed an Athenian garrison. 
This was the principal cause of the Corinthians conceiving such a deadly hatred against Athens. Meanwhile, Inaros, son of Semecticus, a Libyan king of the Libyans on the Egyptian border, having his headquarters at Maria, the town above Pharos, caused a revolt of almost the whole of Egypt from King Artaxerxes, and, placing himself at, his, at its head, invited the Athenians to his assistance. Abandoning a Cyprian expedition upon which they happened to be engaged with two hundred ships of their own and their allies, they arrived in Egypt and sailed the sea into the Nile, and making themselves masters of the river and two-thirds of Memphis, addressed themselves to the attack of the remaining third, which is called White Castle. Within it were Persians and Medes who had taken refuge there, and Egyptians who had not joined the rebellion. Meanwhile the Athenians, making a descent from their fleet upon Heliae, were engaged by a force of Corinthians and Epidarians, and the Corinthians were victorious. Afterward, the Athenians engaged the Peloponnesian fleet off Secrophalia, and the Athenians were victorious. Subsequently, war broke out between Aegina and Athens, and there was a great battle at sea off Aegina between the Athenians and the Aegidnetans, each being aided by their allies, in which victory remained with the Athenians, who took seventy of the enemy's ships, and landed in the country and commenced a siege under the command of Leocrates, son of Strobius. Upon this, the Peloponnesians, desirous of aiding the Aegidnetans, threw into Aegina a force of three hundred heavy infantry, who had before been serving with the Corinthians and Epidarians. Meanwhile, the Corinthians and their allies occupied the heights of Gerenea, and marched down into the Megarid, in the belief that, with a large force absent in Aegina and Egypt, Athens would be unable to help the Megarians without raising the siege of Aegina. But the Athenians, instead of moving the army of Aegina, raised a force of the old and young men that had been left in the city, and marched into the Megarid under the command of Myronides. After a drawn battle with the Corinthians, the rival hosts parted, each with the impression that they had gained the victory. The Athenians, however, if anything, had rather the advantage, and on the departure of the Corinthians set up a trophy. Urged by the taunts of the elders in their city, the Corinthians made their preparations, and about twelve days afterwards came and set up their trophy as victors. Sallying out from Megara, the Athenians cut off the party that was employed in erecting the trophy, and engaged and defeated the rest. In the retreat of the vanquished army, a considerable division, pressed by the pursuers and mistaking the road, dashed into a field on some private property, with a deep trench all around it, and no way out. Being acquainted with the place, the Athenians hemmed their front with heavy infantry, and, placing the light troops round in a circle, stoned all who had gone in. Corinth here suffered a severe blow. The bulk of her army continued its retreat home. About this time the Athenians began to build the long walls to the sea, that towards Phalerum and that towards Piraeus. Meanwhile, the Phocians made an expedition against Doris, the old home of the Lacedaemonians, containing the towns of Boeum, Catinium, and Irinium. They had taken one of these towns when the Lacedaemonians under Nicomedes, son of Cleombrotus, commanding for King Pleistoanax, son of Pausanias, who was still a minor, came to the aid of the Dorians with fifteen hundred heavy infantry of their own, and ten thousand of their allies. After compelling the Phocians to restore the town on conditions, they began their retreat. 
The route by sea across the Crissian Gulf exposed them to the risk of being stopped by the Athenian fleet, that across Geronea seemed scarcely safe, the Athenians holding Megara and Pagai, for the pass was a difficult one and was always guarded by the Athenians. And, in the present instance, the Lacedaemonians had information that they meant to dispute their passage, so they resolved to remain in Boeotia, and to consider which would be the safest line of march. They had also another reason for this resolve. Secret encouragement had been given them by a party in Athens, who hoped to put an end to the reign of democracy and the building of the long walls. Meanwhile, the Athenians marched against them with their whole levy and a thousand Argives, and the respective contingents of the rest of their allies. Altogether there were fourteen thousand strong. The march was prompted by the notion that the Lacedaemonians were at a loss how to effect their passage, and also by suspicions of an attempt to overthrow the democracy. Some cavalry also joined the Athenians from the Thessalian allies, but these went over to the Lacedaemonians during the battle. The battle was fought at Tanagra in Boeotia. After a heavy loss on both sides, victory declared for the Lacedaemonians and their allies. After entering the Megarid and cutting down the fruit trees, the Lacedaemonians returned home across Gerania and the Isthmus. Sixty-two days after the battle, of the, the Athenians marched into Boeotia under the command of Myronides, defeated the Boeotians in, a, in battle at Inophita, and became masters of Boeotia and Phocis. They dismantled the walls of the Tanagrians, took a hundred of the richest men of, of the Opuntian Locrians as hostages, and finished their own long walls. This was followed by the surrender of the Genitians to Athens on conditions. They pulled down their walls, gave up their ships, and agreed to pay tribute in the future. The Athenians sailed round Peloponnese under Tolmides, son of Tolmaeus, burnt the arsenal of Lacedaemon, took Chalcis, a town of the Corinthians, and in a desert upon Sicyon defeated the Sicyonians in battle. Meanwhile, the Athenians in Egypt and their allies were still there, and encountered all the vicissitudes of war. First, the Athenians were masters of Egypt, and the king sent Megabazus, a Persian, to Lacedaemon with money to bribe the Peloponnesians to invade Attica, and so draw off the Athenians from Egypt. Finding that the matter made no progress, and that the money was only being wasted, he recalled Megabazus, that the remainder of the money, and sent Megabazus, son of Zopreus, a Persian, with a large army to Egypt. Arriving by land, he defeated the Egyptians and their allies in a battle, and drove the Hellenes out of Memphis, and at length shut them up in the island of Prosipotus, where he besieged them for a year and six months. At last, draining the canal of its waters, which he diverted into another channel, he left their ships high and dry, and joined most of the island to the mainland, and then marched over on foot and captured it. Thus the enterprise of the Hellenes came to ruin after six years of war. Of all that large host, a few traveling through Libya reached Cyrene in safety, but most of them perished, and thus Egypt returned to its objection to the king, except Amartius, the king of the marshes, whom they were unable to capture from the extent of the marsh. The marshmen being also the most warlike of the Egyptians. Inaros, the Libyan king, the sole author of the Egyptian revolt, was betrayed, taken, and crucified. Meanwhile, a relieving squadron of fifty vessels had sailed from Athens 
and the rest of the confederacy for Egypt. They put into shore at the Mendesian mouth of the Niles, in total ignorance of what had occurred, attacked on the land side by the troops, and from the sea by the Phoenician navy. Most of the ships were destroyed. The few remaining were saved by retreat. Such was the end of the great expedition of the Athenians and their allies to Egypt. Meanwhile, Orestes, son of Ephecratitis, the Thessalian king, being an exile from Thessaly, persuaded the Athenians to restore him. Taking with them the Boeotians and Phocians, their allies, the Athenians marched to Pharsalus in Thessaly. They became masters of the country, though only in the immediate vicinity of the camp, beyond which they could, could not go for fear of the Thessalian cavalry. But they failed to take the city or to attain any of the other objects of their expedition, and returned home with Orestes without having effected anything. Not long after this, a thousand of the Athenians embarked in the vessels that were at Pagai. Pagai, it must be remembered, was now theirs, and sailed along the coast to Sicyon under the command of Pericles, son of Xanthippus. Landing in Sicyon, and defeating the Sicyonians who engaged them, they immediately took with them the Achaeans, and, sailing across, marched against and laid siege to Anaidi in Acarnania. Failing, however, to take it, they returned home. Three years afterwards, a truce was made between the Peloponnesians and the Athenians for five years. Released from Hellenic war, the Athenians made an expedition to Cyprus, with two hundred vessels of their own and their allies, under the command of Simon. Sixty of these were detached as Egypt, at the instance of Amartius, the king of the marshes. The rest laid siege to Kidium, from which, however, they were compelled to retire by the death of Simon and by scarcity of provisions. Sailing off Salamis in Cyprus, they fought with the Phoenicians, Cyprians, and Cilicians by land and sea, and, being victorious on both elements, departed home, and with them the returned squadron from Egypt. After this, the Lacedaemonians marched out on a sacred war, and, becoming masters of the temple at Delphi, hid in the hands of the Delphians, immediately after their retreat, the Athenians marched out, became masters of the temple, and placed it in the hands of the Phocians. Some time after this, Orchomenus, Chironia, and some other places in Boeotia, being in the hands of the Boeotian exiles, the Athenians marched against the above-mentioned hostile places, which a th with a thousand Athenian heavy infantry and the allied contingents, under, under the command of Tolmides, son of Tolmaeus. They took Chironia, and made slaves of the inhabitants, and, leaving a garrison, commenced their return. On their road, they were attacked at Chironia by the Boeotian exiles from Orchomenes, with some Locrians and Euboean exiles and others who were of the same way of thinking, were defeated in battle, and some killed, others taken captive. The Athenians evacuated all Boeotia by a treaty providing for the recovery of the men, and the exiled Boeotians returned, and with all the rest regained their independence. This was soon afterwards followed by the revolt of Euboea from Athens. Pericles had already crossed over with an army of Athenians to the island, when news was brought to him that Megara had, had revolted that the Peloponnesians were on the point of invading Attica, and that the Athenian garrison had been cut off by the Megarians, with the exception of a few who had taken refuge in Nicaea. 
The Megarians had introduced the Corinthians, Sicyonians, and Epidorians into the town before they revolted. Meanwhile, Pericles brought his army back in all haste from Euboea. After this, the Peloponnesians marched into Attica as far as Eleusis and Thrius, ravaging the country under the conduct of King Plastoanax, the son of Pausanias, and without advancing farther, returned home. The Athenians then crossed over again to Euboea, under the command of Pericles, and subdued the whole of the island. All but Histia was settled by convention. The Histians they expelled from their homes and occupied their territory themselves. Not long after their return from Euboea, they made a truce with the Lacedaemonians and their allies for thirty years, giving up the posts which they occupied in Peloponnese, Nicaea, Pagaea, Troizen, and Achaia. In the sixth year of the truce, war broke out between the Samians and Milesians about Prien. Worsted in the war, the Milesians came to Athens with loud complaints against the Samians. In this they were joined by certain private persons from Samos itself, who wished to revolutionize the government. Accordingly, the Athenians sailed to Samos with forty ships and set up a democracy, took hostages from the Samians, fifty boys and as many men, lodged them in Lemnos, and after leaving a garrison in the island returned home. But some of the Samians had not remained in the island, but had fled to the continent. Making an agreement with the most powerful of those in the city, in an alliance with Pisothenus, the son of Histaspes, the then satrap of Sardis, they got together a force of seven hundred mercenaries and under cover of night crossed over to Samos. Their first step was to raise on the commons, most of whom they secured. Their next to steal their hostages from Lemnos, after which they revolted, gave up the Athenian garrison, left with them and its commanders to Pisothenus, and instantly prepared for an expedition against Miletus. The Byzantines also revolted with them. As soon as the Athenians heard the news, they sailed with sixty ships against Samos. Sixteen of these went to Caria to look out, to look out for the Phoenician fleet, and to Chios and Lesbos, carrying round orders for reinforcements, and so never engaged. But forty-four ships under the command of Pericles, with nine colleagues, gave battle, off the island of Tragia, to seventy Samian vessels, of which twenty were transports as they were sailing from Miletus. Victory remained with the Athenians, reinforced afterwards by forty ships from Athens and twenty-five Chian and Lesbian vessels. The Athenians landed, and having the superiority by land, invested the city with three walls. It was also invested from the sea. Meanwhile, Pericles took sixty ships from the blockading squadron and departed in haste for Canis and Caria, intelligence having been brought in on the approach of the Phoenician fleet to the aid of the Samians. Indeed. Stesagoras and others had left the island with five ships to bring them. But in the meantime the Samians made a sudden sally and fell on the camp, which they found unfortified. Destroying the lookout vessels and engaging and defeating such as were being launched to meet them, they remained masters of their own seas for fourteen days, and carried in and carried out what they pleased. But on the arrival of Pericles they were once more shut up. Fresh reinforcements arrived afterwards. Forty ships from Athens from, with Thucydides, Hagnon, and Formio, twenty with Tlepolemus and Anticles, and thirty vessels from Chios and Lesbos. After a brief attempt at fighting, the Samians, unable to hold out, were reduced after a nine-month siege and surrendered on conditions. 
They raised their walls, gave hostages, delivered up their ships, and arranged to pay the expenses of the war by installment. The Byzantines also agreed to be subject as before. This is the end of chapter 4.